Hi there, this is Daniel J. Hogan, and welcome back to the Magic of Airy podcast, brought to you by MagicOfAiry.com. I have a special treat for you this week. Instead of episode 24, I have audio from a panel discussion on podcasting I was a part of at PenguinCon this past weekend. Joining me on the panel is the very talented author and voice actor, Mary Robinette Cole. Come back next Wednesday for another panel from PenguinCon. This one's called Humor in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. Joining me on that panel are Jim C. Hines, author of the Goblin Quest series, and Brian Briggs of the geek humor website, bbspot.com. And make sure to come back on May 19th for episode 24 of The Magic of Airy, Flight of the Griffin. All right, well, welcome to uh, Adapting Your Novel to a Podcast. I'm uh, Daniel J. Hogan. I do, or you just call me Dan, that's fine. Uh... I do the Magic of Airy podcast. It's uh, adapted from a novel I wrote about three years ago. A year ago, I decided to start adapting it to a podcast. I do two episodes a month, every other week, so every other Wednesday. And I'm pretty good at making that that release date. I, if I, I try not to miss it, and I don't think I have. If I do, I tell people. But I say on the website, you know, stuff happens. But uh, I'm pretty good at meeting that. I'm Mary Robinette Kowal. I was the 2008 winner of the Campbell Award for Best New Writer and the Secretary of Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Uh, boy, I sound so excited this morning. Right here. Um, and, <laughs> no, I'm a professional puppeteer and voice actor. I record audiobooks. And, um, and then my debut novel, Shades of Milk and Honey, is coming out in August. So. Awesome. Um, well, I guess we... I don't know. How do you want to well, attack actually, this? Well, actually, one of the things that I wanted to do is the the question, you know, the little blurb is, with our constantly on-the-go culture, why not make your work even more available for a commuter-based society? And th- there's actually reasons not to do this, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like people should be aware of before they... You should be aware of, of the choices that you're making. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you do the the podcast, you've given up audio rights, and a lot of publishers these days want audio rights when they're buying your novel. So there are some publishers now, it's not always true, and, and not for every publisher, but there are some publishers now who, if they can't get those audio rights, are not going to be interested in your work. Not all of them. This is not an across-the-board thing, but it's just something to be aware <coughs> of. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that um, for, uh, for the nebulas, you, this counts as publication. So, if if I'm public, you know, if I'm podcasting a novel in 2010 and I don't sell the novel until 2012, that novel is not eligible for a nebula in 2012 because it's already been published. So you need to be aware of these things um, and and make the choices. On the other hand, it is a way to bring your work to an audience that you wouldn't have otherwise, and these are fairly minor you know dangers mm-hmm. it's like only one novel gets nominated I mean get, wins a nebula so only really like five people are going to be affected by this That's or six six but it's still something to be aware of yeah I didn't really think of that but because with my novel I self-published it anyway so that's a whole other yeah that's a whole other thing I could talk about that for an hour or two but because it's already kind of published, and after like two years, I'm, you know, I, you know, I, I did pretty good for a self-published novel, but I decided, well, let's do something else with it. I'll do a podcast of it, but then I'll also work on a totally different novel, and then 
if I have an I'm growing audience with this, which is its own separate thing, and I try to sell a target entirely different outlet and say, by the way, I get a, I have a podcast that gets a few hundred downloads, you know, every episode, and publishers like that. I was talking with someone mm-hmm. last night about that. If they look at those things, if you have, you know, readership on your blog, you have an online presence, you have lots of people, you know, downloading your podcast because yeah. that's a, you know, I can say, oh, by the way, Tor is publishing my book next summer. Check it out or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. that's you know easy publicity for them. Yeah, and it, it is, you know, once you once you've already done the, the publication, then the Am I giving up my my publication rights or any of that? That becomes a, a non-issue, and mm-hmm. it's as I said, it's just something to be aware of. Like that is the you know in the don't. But the reasons to do it are that it gives you a wider audience, and and people, particularly commuters, are very excited about um, about podcasts. And so even if you even if you don't want to pub, um, do the whole thing, doing um, just like three chapters or excerpts from the novel is a very good way to make people interested in it without causing problems. Um, and I've met people who, you know, I'll say, yeah, I wrote a novel and they're kind of so-so about it, but then I mention, oh, and it's a podcast. And they're like, oh, I love podcasts. Mm-hmm. Where can I download it? There's lots of people, like commuters, you know, yeah. like because I work in Lansing and you have a lot of transplants there. A lot of people, they will drive in, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to and from Lansing, an hour or more in some cases. And lots of those commuters, they like listening to podcasts and, you know, be it audiobooks or a talk show or, you know, whatever. And as far as reaching new audience of people, I mean, it is a good way to connect with other people who may not, you know, buy your book, you know, because for mine, for my podcast, it's free. So, a lot of people, their only investment is time, and if they check it out and they like it, great. If they don't, well, whatever. They wasted maybe 15 minutes or so, sometimes even you know five if they can't get past the first five minutes. But um, my audience is growing over the past year, and now that I have like over 20 episodes, I'm. I didn't want to promote too heavily the first year because I only would, you know, like a year ago I only had like three episodes up, mm-hmm. and I don't want to spend a lot of time promoting when I only have like. 45 minutes of material but now I have like over 8 hours of material so I'm kind of in my second phase of and I'm going to start pushing it heavily and doing more advertising and all that because I have a more of an archive that people can go back and listen to the other um, the other reason that you, you might not want to what you, you might not want to is if you don't have a good recording environment. So yeah. let's talk about what good inco- recordings sound like mm-hmm. um, and, and the tools that you need to make sure that what you're recording is actually something people want to listen to. Yeah, Qu- sound quality is uh, a big the part of biggest, it. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the biggest turnoffs. It's people start listening and they can't. There's a lot of noise, mm-hmm. um, or your voice is heavily distorted. They, if, they, if there's anything that's going to interfere with the, the listening experience, it will tune out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because it says something about they'll make assumptions about the quality of the writing material based on the quality of the audio product. product. So, um, so the first thing you want to do is get a quiet space, and that's actually in some ways more important than the microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, and quiet space like this right now seems like a quiet room but I want you to just we're going to be quiet for a second and listen to the room hum you hear that that air conditioning that's going to show up on your recording so when you're recording you need to turn off your air conditioner you need to unplug your refrigerator 
I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, what, what we do is we put our keys in the refrigerator because that way at least we'll remember to turn it on when we try to leave the apartment. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, recording in the middle of the night. Like I was living in Manhattan and I had these audio projects that I had to turn in and I was used to having a studio in Portland and the only time I could record was between 3 a.m. and 7 a.m. Was, that was it. That was my window. And, and like around 5 a.m. I started getting noises again but my upstairs neighbor didn't go to bed till 3 and he would walk and you hear this re, 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 re. So I had to wait. But 3 a.m., it's pretty freaking quiet. Just about anywhere you go. So that's recording in the middle of the night is unpleasant. But if you're in a somewhat noisy environment and are having trouble getting a quiet, you know, getting rid of the sound, that's one way. Another way is to record in the closet um, because the clothes act as a natural dampening. So. You know, it's, it's like your own little soundproof booth. Um, and then this is also a, the, the computer fans, <coughs> computer fans make a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. Get yourself a long cable or one of these nifty little things. Mm-hmm. Um, but get yourself a long cable and make sure the computer is not in the closet with you. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a good length? to submit as a podcast for a listener. Well, Something that would be substantive enough to, to let them get a, a start on the work, uh, but not overwhelmed, but not, be, not enough. I mean, well, what I do, my goal is I shoot for like around 20 minutes. Uh, and some people say you should do like half hour, 45, but that's my kind of base time. But I also look for a better ending. For an episode, like, because I don't want to stop right at 20 minutes and be in the middle of a paragraph. Yeah. If it means having a 17 minute episode or a 24 minute episode, but I have a better ending either way, I'll do that because I like ending on a high note or a cliffhanger or just kind of. And because you know I'm I'm adapting a book I already wrote, I naturally have chapter breaks mm-hmm. and scene breaks, so I just kind of see. Okay, I'll stop at this one, and, and that's a good you know setup for the next episode. So I kind of like. It goes back to like a little radio serial thing yeah. or tune in next week to see what happens. So that's what I kind of try to do. The, the, the length that Escape Pod uses is that they're in, they're in the 20 to, yeah. to 30 minute range. And basically it's, he set that length. It's about 4,000 words actually um, for them. But he set that length because that's how long his commute is. And most people, their commute is 20, to, not, I mean, unless you're in L.A., um, but most people in the U.S., their commute is between 20 to 30 minutes, and that's about how long their workout is. Mm-hmm. So the, that's, you know, it, what you're basing it on is where people are going to be listening to it. The big thing is to make sure there are easy stopping points. Um, like you'll get some audiobooks, and it's just one big file, and there's no way to bookmark or anything like that. So if you have it broken into smaller chunks, even if it's, you know, even if it's meant to be listened to uninterrupted, it makes it easier for people to stop and figure out where the heck they were when they want to restart again. Yeah. What type of software do you use for sound quality editing? I use, um, I edit on my, my iBook. I record in Audacity mm-hmm. and I dump the raw audio into uh, GarageBand. Mm. And then I export 
Okay, the way I do the way I do it because I um, first things first, I take I write a script for every episode. I don't just read out of my book. I did it for the first time. I did an episode. I quickly found out that is not the way to go. So I looked online. I found a sample like radio script, and so I do you know narrator. One day he walked outside and did something, whatever. Character name. Huh. Hi, how's it going? Other character. Great, how are you? You know, sound effects, you know, door closing, whatever. So I just, you know, did an old-timey radio script, and that works great because what I do, and not everyone, this is my style, it works for me, I'll do all the narrator stuff. I'll record the line, export it, save it in the narrator folder for that episode. And I'll do all the one character, because I do a lot of different character voices. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for me if I do... All the characters are supposed to sound like the thirteen-year-old boy stuff at once. And I do all the characters are supposed to sound like the gruff, you know, mean mercenary guy at once. Instead of going back and forth, it sounds more um, flowing and natural, I guess, because I'm doing all their stuff at the same time. I'm not shifting voice gears, you know, every two minutes. So then I take all those files out of Audacity, and then I do a GarageBand file. And then I have my narrator track, and I have my different character tracks, and I just <coughs> drag and drop them in there, chop them up, you know, you know, invest in a good pair of headphones, mm-hmm. like over-the-ear, you know, headphones, and I listen for, you know, the breaths, the in, you know, inhales, exhales, and, you know, cut that stuff out. I mean, you don't always have to, sometimes I don't, but... And then when I'm done with everything, <laughs> export it on GarageBand as an AIF into iTunes, then I convert to an MP3. Which is another important thing. You got to remember that MP3 is pretty much universal. If you start doing stuff in M4As or other formats, not everyone can listen to them. But if you're like the book I, I got, Podcasting for Dummies, which I highly recommend, it was recommended to me by another podcaster. Um, it says do MP3s at least for right now because that everyone can play an MP3. Yeah. So I don't know how you how you guys do it. Well, I mean when I'm recording. There's two different recording types things that I do. There's the um, there's this the the stuff that we're going to play on the internet, which is basically what we're talking about, and then mm-hmm. there's the stuff that's going on CD. And the CD level stuff has to be much higher quality. Yeah. So the stuff that's going on the internet, uh, we use Audacity um, because it's free yeah, it's and free. it's easy. Um, the stuff that's going on CD, we use um, Final Cut Pro. Wow, really? That's that's cool. Yeah. I never thought of that. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> um, but Audacity is the way to go, uh, because it's free. It's actually a really good program. Yes, it's very easy. Um, for the stuff I'm recording at home, I use a Blue Snowball, which is a microphone. It's a USB microphone. Um, it's this white ball with a little tiny stand like that. Um, and it's great because you can set it for uh, to be omnidirectional mm-hmm. or unidirectional. So, so if you've got a big noisy environment, you just want you want to stand directly in front of it and have it pick up to the stuff that's only in front of you. Where do you purchase books? Internet. Amazon. I got this Amazon. through Amazon. Yeah. This is this is similar. Yeah. Blue Snowball. Um, but you can also get it at um, oh, a lot of music stores have them actually. Yeah, if there's like a Marshall Music or ninety nine dollars, yeah. very very good entry level thing. Mm-hmm. You can get much more expensive, fancy fancy things. Um, I record straight through. I do. Yeah. I do narration and voices straight through. Um, 
and and as I'm recording, if I if I need if I make a mistake, or if I you know, uh, and it depends if I have if I have an engineer, which is a lovely thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then I do it a little bit differently. But um, but when I'm recording by myself, it's I stop. You know, it's like I stumble, I pause, I go back to where I had stumbled, to, to in front of that, and then record forward again. Um, and I mark my script. And I record from, I record straight off of the, the page. I highlight, but I don't lay it out. It sounds like you actually turn it into a radio play for yes. adding special effects. Yeah, I do sound effects and everything. So I'm, yeah. I'm dramatizing my book, so yeah. it's, I'm not just doing a straight audiobook read. I'm making it a little different. I change things for the podcast, too, because my, my attitude is, well, it's mine anyway, so who cares? And there's some things, like, that's, I'm like, I might as well tweak it a bit Yeah. anyway. When I'm recording my own material, I drop all the he said, she says. Yes, that's another, th- yes, that's a good point, too. Uh, because those are, you know, those are there on the page because you don't have the audio cue. But when you're recording... If you're, especially if you're switching voices, it's very easy to tell who's talking, and the he said, she said, are superfluous. Mm-hmm. It, it took me a few episodes to figure that out too, and I realized I don't need to do this anymore. And then now, the audio, especially because uh, I also I'll do um, through GarageBand, I'll have audio effects for some of the voices where like I make myself sound like a 13 year old boy. It's not someone else. I mean, it's just I change the pitch on the voice. Mm-hmm. And um, I have other ones where I had, like, reverb and echo and stuff. And you can tell they're two different people talking. And, yeah, I finally realized after I don't know how many episodes <laughs> to stop doing that because yeah. I don't need to do that. And, uh, it's, oh, yeah. this is another type of recorder here, which is a good entry-level one. Um, the reason I got this is another podcaster. And there's a great community out there. Mm-hmm. You can just find websites say, hey, what's a good microphone? It's H2 Zoom. It's about 100 something. I think I've got it for 150 on nice. Amazon. And it's USB, so I can just use it as a USB microphone. And it's also a portable recorder, obviously. And uh, it's a good multi purpose tool. It can do front and rear. And uh, I also use it for like interviews for freelance writing. So it's good for that. You know, I was in a band for a while. We used it for recording tracks, that kind of thing. So. And it wouldn't make a fan noise in your closet. That's right. <laughs> Um, so, so then I go back and I, I fix the mistakes afterwards in Audacity. Um, but I, I also do voices and and switch back and forth um, between them, which is not as as hard as it sounds like it's going to be. In part because you are recording, if you need just a little bit longer to set up that voice, then you can take the take the extra pause and then just tighten it when you go back to the editing process. Um, one of the things that's nice about having someone else out in the room, an engineer, especially when you're you're starting, is that they can flag the things that you miss. Um, like I um, <laughs> was recording, and, and this is one that I, you know, I'm recording professionally, and I'm reading along, and, and I say... His nays garrowed <laughs> and didn't notice that I had transposed the letters. <coughs> and you know, and at home I'd just be like, I'd be listening to that, and I'd get to that point and be like, crap. And then I would have to go back and re-record it. Mm-hmm. And the problem with um, stopping, w- with coming back and re-recording something later, 
is that your voice has changed. And getting it, getting your, your relationship to the microphone exactly right so that the audio quality of the, the replacement is seamless is actually not that easy. Sometimes you hit it and you're exactly right and aces, and sometimes you go to drop it in and it's like you can tell, you can hear it. And even if the audience has no idea why, they will be they will suddenly pop out and it's like, well, that line sounded strange. Like you're, you know, when you're watching a film and and suddenly you're like, why is that dubbed? Even though it's matching perfectly, but the the oral quality, mm-hmm. oral quality. Oh boy, I am a professional. <laughs> I just can't pronounce anything this morning. Um, some some uh, some techniques for reading. Do you, should we go there? Um, yeah, we can do that. One thing I might add, as far as like mistakes, what I have, and I learned this from the Escape Pod guys last year, was the dog clicker thing. Went to the pet supply store, bought a two dollar dog clicker, worth every penny. I mean, it's the best equipment investment I made because when you click it by the microphone, it spikes the audio, and so you can see, like in GarageBand, you can see the waveform. And so I'll be looking. I'm like, oh, okay, here's where I screwed up, and I, you know, cut, gone, and then. You know, it makes editing a lot easier. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I do uh, is I, I mark the manuscript when I, when I, at my my error point, and where I go back. It's like uh, if I make a mistake at the beginning of a sentence, I'll put a just a slash at the beginning of the sentence, which means that I have read the sentence twice and that I need to take the second one. And if I, you know, have to do it two or three takes, you know, I've had like five slash marks <laughs> next to something. Um, but that that is also helpful because then you, you know that you can just fast forward until you get to that. It's like, yeah, okay, my final take is the one to, to go with. Um, so that's also handy. Yeah, I'm going to try doing a whole, like, read through my next episode, just see how that goes instead of breaking everything up, you know, like how you describe. The thing that I like about doing that is that I find, and I've done it both ways, mm-hmm. um, I had a character <coughs> voice that was really difficult to hold, and so what I did was I recorded the whole thing straight through, uh, because I find that I get the um, the rhythm of the the conversation more. Um, that 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 feels more natural to me. But one of the voices kept slipping, and so what we did was we just recorded it straight through, and then I went back and just recorded the lines that I had slipped, you know, just went through and, and recorded just that character's lines because that that gave us the ability to, to fix it. And then the other thing that we did with that particular one, which it's actually on my website, uh, Rampion, um, was that because I had recorded them separately, we were able to put them right and left channels. So the dialogue was coming from two different sides you know, it, it's when you download the giant version, it's in stereo, so it, it sounds even more like there are two people talking. But normally, I try to go straight through. Do you, I, and I thought that I would actually yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, yeah, and the the panning left and right thing, I do stuff like that as well. That's the fun thing about GarageBand. It's easy to have fun with audio effects. Like I'll do some effects where they built in things that'll it'll make the voice jump back and forth between the, the two sides. Like I use that for like remember creepy kind of magical character voices. It adds 
more depth to that character because like they sound really weird and they're a weird you know character I try not to overdo it though because uh, one of the things I read online once is if you're, if you're doing special effects and sound effects on podcast, pretend each of them costs you money and you only have <laughs> a certain amount of budget for every mm-hmm. episode. My attitude is to if it takes me more than like a couple a few minutes to like decide what I want to do or figure out what I want to do, then I'll just I won't bother because I'm spending too much time yeah. working on it. And because I have you know full time job and other stuff, I can't you know devote my whole week making every little second of the episode spectacular. I mean, I have to, like, you know, cut things where I can and work around that, but... Um, but uh, along those... I'm going to continue. Along those sure. lines is uh, is your voicing. Like, mm-hmm. when you're doing character voices, um, when you're doing... When you're just doing a I Am Reading My Novel podcast as opposed to, you know, to the, the radio play, everyone knows that they're listening to one person reading. So what your goal is with the character voices is to make enough of a distinction that people can recognize the character who's speaking every time that they speak and know that they are distinct from other characters, but you're not trying to convince them that there are five different people in the recording booth. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be a huge shift. And in fact, if it is a huge shift, it can sometimes be more jarring because they're like, oh, wait... All of these other characters are done by this one person, and then there's suddenly the second person in the booth. So it's, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I can't really do voices. I'm like, you don't actually need to do voices. You just need to be able to do character distinctions. That's all you're trying to do is make the characters specific. Mm-hmm. And there are, um, there are five basic things that for doing a character voice. There's pitch placement, pacing, accent, and attitude. Um, Of those, attitude is the most important, and that is what your character is thinking. Your narrator is one of your characters, so it's important that you always know how your narrator feels about what he or she is saying Um, at kind of all times. Pitch is one of the less useful ones because as soon as I pitch up or down, I limit my range. It's one of the easiest ones to access. But it's like my voice is going up and down through a range all the time. So if I'm pitching down into here, that means that I can't use the voice up here. So when you pitch, you you do have to be aware that you're going to limit yourself. Placement is one of the most useful things <coughs> because your voice typically when you're speaking stays more or less in the same place in your head. But you can shift the sound of your voice to make it sound like someone completely different. It's it, you, the, the classic example is when you have a head cold and you've got the horrible, horrible congestion. And that affects which resonator your voice is coming out of. And so that changes the placement of your voice and makes you sound like someone completely different. I mean, you've always, you've had that experience where, like, who the heck am I talking to? Um, so there's several different... And, and um, one of the, the easiest ones to hear is if you go into the nasal, you know, it's like I haven't changed my rhythm, I haven't changed anything else, but I do sound like someone completely different. If I move it to the front of my mouth, this, normally, most Americans talk in the middle of your mouth. British, 
the British talk at the front of the mouth. Now, I haven't actually changed my pronunciation at all. What I've done is I've moved it to the front of my mouth, and I suddenly sound not quite American. Russian tends to be at the back of the mouth, so there are all of these different resonators and placements. It's a very handy tool, and it's very subtle. And like audio effects, you can do these subtle shifts, and it's enough. You don't have to do. It. You don't have to get flashy. Mm-hmm. And when you get flashy, if people are going, "Wow, he does a really good," in the moment they start thinking about what you're doing, you are taking them out of the story. And so that's you, you want anything that you're doing is in service of the story. And the moment people notice it, you need to stop doing it. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, I sorry, I lost my train of thought. I had something <laughs> I was going to say, and I was like, yeah, that is good advice. Um, uh, yeah, like like I have certain styles I follow with some of the char- the regular character stuff I do, like the narrator. I tend to make that slower. Not too slow, but just because that's setting everything up. And but the the dialogue between the characters that'll be a little more normal talking speed. And uh, I try to for the narrator stuff, you know, enun- make sure I enunciate stuff a little better mm-hmm. because some of the character stuff, depending on like if it's someone screaming or not screaming or just you know bickering or whatever, I want to have that emotion behind it. And sometimes mm-hmm. you you're, you don't have time to enunciate every little syllable. Mm-hmm. Which is okay because you're, you're adding more depth to that to that character and how they're talking. But the narrator, for me, I, I like again. That, that's part of the reason why I kind of like doing that separate from everything because I can I'm keeping that same frame of mind for the whole duration of the um, the episode. And uh, the special effects they do in GarageBand, they, I mean, they do help make some of the characters different. I'm more aware. I'm more. Um, careful about that now as I'm maturing in my experience with it like early on I was doing way more of it and now I'm like eh, I don't need to do as much anymore because it's also a time commitment thing because you can spend two hours <laughs> tweaking yeah. your voice to sound entirely different and then realize oh yeah uh, I still have to get this episode done by tomorrow morning or mm-hmm. something you know your your deadline is not optional at least for me I'm like I I'm pretty vigilant about meeting my deadlines for releasing episodes. So that's why if I can't figure something out quickly or I'm not happy with it real quickly, I don't forget it. I'm not going to worry about it. But um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to go with that. I had something <laughs> else I was going to say. My early episode, I remember now, my early episodes, like the first couple, I didn't have this yet. I was still figuring out what I was doing. So like the very first episode was pretty rough. But I, I now that I'm better at, I want to go back and re-record those. And I did a thing in the credits where, because I was doing all the voices, I decided oh, I'll make up fake names for all the voices I'm doing and do like a credit roll at the end. <laughs> and I'm like, after like a few episodes, I'm like, this is a waste of time, and it's not as funny as I think it is. <laughs> and again, it's you know rookie mistake stuff. You know, it's it's a spaghetti test too. You're like, well, let's try this and. Mm-hmm. You know, it was funny at first, but now I'm like, I wish I hadn't done that. So I may have to, well, I want to go back and re-record those first few episodes so they sound consistent to the, the mm-hmm. later ones because I, I switched equipment after the first two. Like, it, it was, I borrowed, like, a hand mic. I had, like, a crappy old mixer thing. It was, you know, I was still kind of figuring out how to use Audacity and GarageBand and 
if you can make everything kind of sound consistent, that's it goes back to what you said about the the sound quality turning people off. That's something I still kind of worry about because my later episodes episodes sound way better than the first, you know, two or three. But how do you um, do you use a Creative Commons license, and do you do you, do you stamp the material with that at the beginning or at the end of it? Do you have a boilerplate that you read? I do, um, yeah. My uh, on my website, I say the podcast itself is Creative Commons. It's, it's it's just the one where you can distribute it. You can't, like I say, no, you know, yeah. can, you can't do your own version of it. <coughs> I say you can share it with people. That's fine, but you can't sell it. You can't do your own version. You can't use my characters for anything else. And I say that does not apply to the original novel, just the podcast. And um, I have that on the website. In the episode itself, I think I just I don't think I mentioned that's Creative Commons in the episode itself in the audio file. But I say, you know, copyright, you know, Daniel Hogan at the end or something like that. But I do, I do have it on the website though. It's placed on the website, but not not within the body of the, of the recording. I don't, I don't think I have it in the recording. I, I now, I don't, didn't always, but um, I now at the end of mine say, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but um, I finish and I'm like, repeat the title repeat my name so uh, you've just listened to Evil Robot Monkey by Mary Robinette Kowal recorded by Mary Robinette Kowal this has been released Creative Commons License 2.0 uh, share alike non-distribution non-distribution wait non-commercial non- non-derivative yeah. non-derivative yeah uh, for more information visit maryrobinettekowal.com the reason I do that part is because a lot of times things get passed around and people yep. have no idea where the original came from. Yep. And so that part I make sure, and that's something that I learned from Cory Doctorow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good old Corey. Corey Doctorow, because I recorded a couple of things for him and he gave me a closing tag that he wanted recorded. Yeah, I do. I, I may not mention the Creative Commons, but I do have, like, I do commercial breaks for, like, you know, 10 seconds in the middle, halfway through the episode, where I say, You're listening to the Magic Berry podcast. You know, visit matchberry.com for more details. And then I'll do another one that says, you know, buy the original book if you want. And then at the end of it, I have, you know, like a full thing, copyright date, my name, you know, my website and the podcast website. And, you know, just yeah. for that same reason, because stuff can get passed around. And I say in the website, yes, send it to whoever. I don't care. And you want to have something, you know, well, I just have the story and people not know where it's coming from. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a little you know, stamp. Mm-hmm. For it. Do you record works in progress and, and podcasts? I don't. No, see, my novel's totally done because, like I said, I published it just about three years ago. So, uh, I mean, my scripts aren't all done. I mean, I'm working on those, but the whole story is done, the whole book is done. And as I do the scripts, I mean, I tweak things. I'm not changing the plot or anything like that. I mean, and like, I'll, I'll ad lib sometimes too just because it feels right, you know. And nine times out of ten, it's it's a better joke or it's a better flow anyway. And so I don't worry. I don't worry if I, you know, change the words in a sentence if it means the same thing. You know, it's it's its own thing. But yeah, I I um I only record of my own stuff. I only record the stuff that I have already sold, and then only after I have sent the things because I'm very mercenary, I guess. Um, but only after I've sent it to there's a couple of uh, audio places and and if it's like you know escape pod if it's something that's suitable for them I'll try those markets and if they don't go for it 
and I have a reason to podcast it, like if there's something that I'm trying to promote. When Evil Robot Monkey was nominated for a Hugo, I'm like, and we are podcasting this sucker. Because <laughs> let's get that baby out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I, I tend to not do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mercenary enough that I tend to not do it unless I'm, someone's giving me money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and so but that's not good for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm doing it just as a way to maybe sell some more copies of you know my book or I, I have a PayPal donate thing too and mm-hmm. I've had a few donations too and I, and I even say if you want to donate you know feel free I mean I don't I don't sell it I mean it, it is free I may at some point I was kind of thinking about this the other day, I may do like seasons because I've been doing it for a year mm-hmm. now I may say okay you can buy the whole first season as you know, I'll chop off the intro and outro stuff so it just flows as one big thing but if you want that, maybe you have to buy the CD or something. I'm brainstorming that, and that's not set in stone. But, um, you know, and I've had some few donations. I've had a few online book sales and helps. But, I mean, I like doing it. It's fun. And it actually, it's getting me other work. I got, you know, asked to be, I do a talk show now. I co-host a talk show now, which, because I have podcasting experience, mm-hmm. they asked me, hey, you do this stuff. You want to be on this talk show? Okay, I said my only condition was that it also be a podcast, and uh, that's fun as well. And then I got approached recently about helping a writer podcast some of his stuff too, which would be, I would potentially get some money out of, which would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's always good. I'm like, okay. It's a nice thing, I have yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, when I certainly the first things that I was recording, I should also mention, you know, I've talked about having my husband or an engineer. My husband is an audio engineer, so... Uh, that makes a lot of things easier for me um, and, and sometimes not <laughs> it's like the plumber's wife <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the the first things that I was recording it was very much a it was very much a marketing tool and you know trying to get you know trying to break myself out from the pack a little bit and also hoping to get more audio work because I was making a transition from puppetry to audio. Um, so there, there was a lot more initially, but because you know I've been 20 years in the performing arts, it's very difficult for me to, to justify doing something without people. It, it just always feels, I mean, it feels like doing birthday party shows um, in some ways, in, in that it's, it's a necessary thing but it's not always something that is pleasurable. Um, actually, birthday parties are a bad analogy because birthday parties are always unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is funny because I actually really enjoy reading aloud. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, really like it. But people don't understand how much work it takes. And that's... And, and in order to do it right, you really have to commit to it. Like... For for finished audio, and this is this is actually good to know when you're budgeting. Finished audio. So for each minute of finished audio, you need to budget at least three minutes of time. That sounds about right. Yeah. Because there's the minute to record it, there's the minute to listen to it, and there's the minute to edit it. <coughs> And usually you have to record the thing more than once. Um, not always, but if, if 
even when I am in the studio, you know, and, and this is at the professional studio and recording, the number of times that I can get all the way through a page without having to stop, it's like, you can go one to two minutes without stumbling, you know, and that's, that's standard. Um, so you just need to budget a heck of a lot of time to record these things. And people, when you're listening to the finished product, you don't think about it. Because mm-hmm. you're listening to and you're like, anyone can talk. Mm-hmm. But when you stumble in real life, it doesn't make a difference. When you stumble on audio, when you stumble on recording, it's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't sound like nearly enough time to invest into a final. No, it's... Or, it, it, particularly starting off, I'd expect more like 20 to 1. Uh, no, it's not, I mean, because, maybe so, because you're learning the equipment, um, and, and it, it averages out, it's more like for each hour of finished product, you need to invest three hours of, of time, and, and sometimes it's, you know, some people will say four, but it averages out, um, because if you're, if you're marking your thing, <coughs> at any point, when there's a mistake, particularly if you have an outside ear who's marking it as you go, then you can skip listening to the sections where you were just fine. And for me, like I'm much better at recording now than I was a year ago. Mm-hmm. Like at the, I'm at the point now where I can crank out, you know, character lines for like four or five different characters in like an hour mm-hmm. or something. I mean, no problem. But like a year ago, I mean, I would it would take me a while. To do to do all that. I mean, the only thing that still takes me a while is the narrator stuff because there's a difference between a character who has 30 lines, but they're like one or two sentences, versus a narrator that has like 40 lines, but they're like paragraphs. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different can of worms. Mm-hmm. So actually, what I'll do is I'll like I kind of do it. Some some nights I'll do everything all one night, but mostly I'll I'll do the character stuff one night, and then the next night. I'll do all the narrator stuff because it's a whole different approach because I have to say so much for the narrator things. And along those lines, like, do you do, like, any, like, voice exercises to kind of warm yourself up beforehand? A little bit. Um, It depends. It depends on what I'm going in to record. Um, But what I do is I... uh, I, I just hum through my range to make, partly to make sure that there aren't any surprises. Because <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, like, well, what I'll just just and you know, just do I'm that. So back glad and I'm forth. recording this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and that's very gentle on the voice, and that's very you know that's that's like bending over and touching your toes and standing up very slowly. It's very gentle on the voice, and it lets you know, like, right now I'm like, okay, my high end is a little weak right now. Um, so I do that, and then I'll sometimes do red leather, yellow leather, or something mm-hmm. like that, or yep. just do the big face, nah. Um, but I usually only do that, honestly, if I'm going to be recording for a really long day. Okay. Um, short stories, eh, you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a warm-up, but it's, it's not as strenuous. But when I'm recording... A book um, it's like I go in and it's an eight hour day and it takes three to four and I'm in the studio for three to four days and you know you record for two hours you take a 15 minute break you record for two hours you break for lunch for an hour you record for two hours 15 minute break you record for two hours and you're out 
And it's like, those days I warm up and I hydrate. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my cup of throat coat tea and I have a bottle of water. And I go through it and I eat apples. Uh, apples are great, particularly green apples, um, because a little bit of tartness gets the saliva going in your mouth. You actually want your mouth to be fairly damp. You, you get mouth noises when your mouth is dry. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the sound of, I mean, it's really disgusting when you actually realize what's happening, but it's the sound of your tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> and it's, and you'll, you'll hear it. You'll just like. Yep. And it's just, you're, and you're like, oh, God. Um, and, you know, I, I avoid, especially on a long recording, short stuff, not such a big deal, but long recording in an actual booth, um, everything, I mean, the microphone picks up everything, yeah, and that means stomach noises. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I had this one engineer who was just mean because I'm reading along and my stomach makes this sound and he just plays it back and it's like and it sounds like there's a whale in the booth. And he puts it on a repeating loop with reverb and I'm like, okay. And it's I mean it's hilarious, but <laughs> I do like, some. Uh, Vocal stuff too, like you know. I just one day I googled you know voice exercise voice exercises, and so one thing I'll do is I'll you know get out the dictionary or a thesaurus. I'll I'll look for big like multi-syllable words oh. and, and say them really slowly, just enunciate each syllable. Mm-hmm. And I found this one thing they they say like like you put like a wine cork and like bite down on it, and then you enunciate stuff that kind of oh, helps. Interesting. It stretches like so you like. Enunciate, you know, like that, whatever, yeah, you yeah. know, and you do that for a few words, and that kind of helps stretches out your mm-hmm. mouth. I don't do it all the time, I do it once in a while, and I do notice a difference when yeah, I do it. Yeah. And I'll, you know, do the basic, you know, like you said, warm up yeah. stuff. And um, I was doing um, doing a book where I had to have an Irish accent, and I, I didn't have one in repertoire, and I didn't have a lot of time to get it together. <laughs> so, you know, I pull out the uh, I pull out the old CD of accents. And spend time with it, and there's no, they don't specify where in Ireland. So, and there's like, you know, yeah. as many Irish accents or more than, than there are American accents. So I'm just like, well, it's just going to be a general Irish accent, and since this character has been in the United States for 500 years, it's going to be pretty mild. But every day on the way to and from the studio, I had that CD in the car, and I'm just like, doing the Irish accent and repeating the, oh, there you go now. <laughs> All the way there, all and then that was my warm up every day. Yeah, and it, it's you know Matt Jesus. <laughs> a lot of a lot of Irish uh, accents are in the cadences and the way they choose to use the words. Mm-hmm. So I had to work one up for a performance I was in a bazillion years ago, and uh, I found that uh, if I had to go back and find an Irish accent again to go to our sources and just read from Sean O'Casey plays. Yeah, and that that's very, very helpful. Um, it, typically speaking, you know, my advice is if you don't have the accent in repertoire, just don't do it. Uh, because you know, nothing will throw an audience member out faster than a bad accent. And, you know, even if, you know, like a bad British accent... It doesn't take a Brit to spot a bad British accent. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, 
So they're, they're great CDs and books on how to pick up an accent. I couldn't do the Irish one right now to save my life. Um, although, one actually, one of the very useful tools uh, is something called a key phrase. And this is a phrase that uh, sets your mouth in the right space for, for whatever a character is. So it's, it's something that is typical, usually the first line a character says, but some, some typical phrase that a character says that... Or, or that describes the, the, the nature of the character's voice that uh, that will put you in, in place. So, like, I was doing um, uh, this thing for Elizabeth Bear, and I had to do a British detective woman, um, kind of Victorian, and and uh, a vampire, Spanish vampire. <laughs> and... Um, so, and, and switching back and forth between those and then standard American narrator, it was it, very different placements. And so for Abby Irene, um, sometimes I would just have to stop and go, front of the mouth, front of the mouth, because it was very clipped. And it put it in the right spot in my mouth. And then from there I could go ahead and do the lines. And for, uh, for Sebastian, I, was, I sat down and listened to like two hours of Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> <laughs> and nice. and, and uh, so before any time he spoke, I was like, "Rich Corinthian letter, oh Abby, I do we need to have this conversation?" And it puts you in the right spot. And even though I was not actually doing a Spanish accent, it gave me the right rhythms and the you know. And he is a sultry, sultry man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, especially when you're watching the younger stuff, I'm like, my God, he was a heartthrob. Oh, yeah. Um, and even as an older man, whew, whew. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but these key phrases help because it, it's an instant physical kinetic reminder of where the voice is supposed to be. And, you know, if you've got the dog clicker or you just pause before and after and mark it on the script, then it's easy to go back and take it out. I really hope there's no rich Corinthian leather in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah i i do that too because like one of my characters is like the the gruff bounty hunter guy and i kind of like looked at like a clint eastwood type voice and i don't claim to be able to do good impressions so um so i always like ah swell you know mm-hmm. you know like i, I kind of look at like his dirty hairy signs like, you know, opinions are like assholes everybody has one and i kind of use that as like a, a f- yeah. phrase a gauge to kind of get me back into that because i know what that sounds like and <coughs> you know and, and whatever the other thing um we talk, have said a couple of times you know speak slowly and clearly um mm-hmm. just as a really simple thing when we say slowly um it actually times out to be about 150 words a minute mm-hmm. um and this is average give or take uh, which will feel the first time you do it as if you were talking like this. Mm-hmm. You will feel like you're talking so slow. But the thing to remember about doing these audio things is that you are familiar with the text. Mm-hmm. This is the first time the audience has heard it. And the analogy that I use is that it's like it's like driving... And let's say that you live on this house and your daily commute is down this very twisty road. And the first time you drive it, you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to die. This is the twistiest road in the entire planet. And then, you know, 
five years later, you're having someone follow you home, and you're like, why are they driving so <laughs> slow? And that's because they're in the car going, Jesus Christ, this is a twist use roll on the entire planet. I'm going to die. And it's like that for a listener. And with audio, they cannot, they can't go back up to the top of the page and catch and see what they've missed. So you actually have to go a little bit slower mm-hmm. for audio. And if you're being interesting, the only time slow is bad is if you're monotone. Um, the other thing that, just like as a, a rule of thumb to remember, is that the written word was designed to record the spoken word. And always remember that what you're doing is telling a story. And if you're just telling a story without printed words in front of you, your voice is going to be much more animated. So when you pick up the, the text, remember that you are telling a story to an audience. And, and think about who your characters are, who the narrator is, how they feel about it, and make sure that you're investing in these words. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I want to go back and redo my first couple episodes. Because again, I was figuring all that out when I a year ago when I first started this, and now I'm, you know, better at uh, getting that emotion into the narrator stuff. And you know, I, I had some early criticism early on that my voice was boring in the first few episodes and slow and all that. Which you know, I learned. I, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess it is. So I, if you're listening to the first episode and you listen to the one that comes out this week. They're night and day as far as like the narration stuff. Like I try to do a little more, ex- you know, extra, you know, uh, energy into it now. I'm more aware of, you know, how I'm reading it. It's um, it's called an invested narrator, and an invested narrator is the idea, that particularly with third person or first person. The idea is that the, the narrator is telling the story for a reason, and that they have opinions on what they're saying. Um, so, and I, I did um, pick something that's not in first person. Um, so I could read this without without investment, which is, without hesitation, Cody led him down the hall, her shaggy tail beating against the back of Pin's legs. Truth be told, even if his blindness were repairable, he would be hard pressed to give up his dog. She was a real lady, not like a machine or electrodes in his brain. And that's perfectly clear and understandable. It's not invested. If I invest my narrator and have emotional thing, without hesitation, Cody led him down the hall, her shaggy tail beating against the back of Pin's legs. Truth be told, even if his blindness were repairable, he would be hard-pressed to give up his dog. She was a real lady. And you hear the difference in that. And that, that's what I'm talking about when, when I'm saying, remember that you're <coughs> telling a story. You know, you're talking to someone, and that that kind of investment, thinking about how does my narrator feel about the words that are coming out of my mouth, that that makes the difference in making it interesting. Mm-hmm. And you you can make a phone book interesting if you get invested. Which that's another good practice thing. Yeah, D- take Reading. just grab anything and like practice your narrator character. I do that sometimes. Like oh, I'll yeah. and like I'll be out and I'll drive some of my friends nuts or whatever. I'll start reading menu. A burrito with avocado, tomatoes, onions, yes. sour cream on top. You know, it drives them crazy, you know. One of my party tricks, I mean, the, the truth is that an emotionally invested narrator can change anything. Let me see if I can yeah. find that, that text. Because if you pick the wrong emotion, mm-hmm. then you can totally screw with stuff. Um, I think we're... 
Are we out of town? Yeah, we're actually five over, but, you know, whatever. I'm supposed to be at the panel, but oh well. (laughs) Let me do this really fast. Without hesitation, Cody led him down the hall, her shaggy tail beating against the back of Pim's legs. Truth be told, even if his blindness were repairable, he would be hard-pressed to give up his dog. She was a real lady. So if you pick the wrong emotional investment, which is why it's important to know what everybody's thinking at all times. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank, um, you. thank you. May I take a snapshot of it? Yeah, yeah. please. Thanks for listening to the Magic of Very podcast. The copyright day of this podcast was May 4th, 2010. This podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 license.